Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And on this episode, I'm going to talk about ghost stories. Ian? I'm going to talk about the quest for El Dorado. Ryan. <laughs> and I'm going to be talking about Pulsar 2849999. Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street in Saskatoon. They're the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Book Store in Canada. And they were also nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award, presented at Comic-Con. Amazing stories, amazing collection of comic books, board games, puzzles, and collectibles can be found in their store or on their new online website. And we are back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. We're going to go straight into thinking, doing, playing board games. And uh, Ryan, I got you going first. I'm fired up to hear this. I want to play this game. Sure. So I actually, I was going back and forth between which game I was actually going to review and which game I was going to do in our thinking, play, and doing. Um, decided to just go in this order. So I'm going to be talking about, uh, we ended up getting some plays in of what's called Circadian's The First Light. Uh, it's a 2019 release by S.J. McDonald and published by Garfield Games. And if you don't know who Garfield Games is, they kind of uh, created a, a few little games like um, Raiders of the North Sea and Architects of the West Kingdom and Paladins of the West Kingdom and Explorers of the North Sea. Um, so they're the creators of the, of the North Sea trilogy and, uh, and, and the West Kingdom trilogy. And actually, S.J. McDonald here, he's one of the lead designers on the Architects and Paladins of the West Kingdoms, and the recently coming out fairly soon, I think, it's thing, Viscounts, Viscounts of the West Kingdom, too. And so this was a Kickstarter game that came out a, a, a while ago, and it had everybody intrigued because it was this Garfield game, but it wasn't going to be a, a trilogy. It was just kind of like a one-off Type of, type of game. And what you're doing in Circadians is what it is. It's a dice worker placement type of game where you've got some dice that are going to be your workers and there are a bazillion actions that you could possibly take with these with these workers. And it is your standard um, resource management and you're going to end up turning these resources into points um, somehow. You are timed, though. There are only eight rounds to the game. And so you kind of have to be efficient. You're not going to be able to do everything. And so what you're going to end up doing is you have to be efficient with your with your turns. You're only ever allowed, you have a, a pool of 13 dice, but you only can ever have access to five of them at a time. I think you only start with three. And there's an action space, obviously, to get you more of these um, workers. Um, but eventually what you're going to end up doing, there's a couple locations where you actually end up locking your workers away for um, point scoring opportunities, they're becoming they they get an alliance with some uh, some alien races, and so you're kind of dedicating them to being like your ambassadors towards those alien races, and they're going to get you points. And there's also um, uh, oh I forget what they call it, but there's a place where you lock them away, and they craft you items that'll give you point scoring opportunities. And so really, that's all it is. It's a dice worker placement game that kind of does it very very well it's nothing groundbreaking or unique about it but it is a lot of fun it doesn't take a long time it's only about oh our learning game took us an hour for for a two-player game and i don't think that there would be very much more um uh to that it does have this mechanism of you're rolling your dice behind a screen kind of like a la what a roll for the galaxy yeah. and you and so you roll your dice behind a screen and you assign your dice to your little your personal tableau 
And all you're doing, all your personal tableau says, oh, I am either going to assign these dice to locations, like they're going to go out on missions, or they're going to produce you resources. And so I, I, I think that I didn't think that there was very necessary that you had to roll them behind a screen to do that. Because there's other dice worker placement games where you don't have to do that. Yeah. Um, much like Orleans, like when you're planning out your turns, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's very much it's very much like that. You're gonna plan out your turn, of uh, whether or not you're where you're gonna send these dice type type of thing. Um, if it comes into a conflict, I would just say just okay. Now you just have to do it in turn order. Don't have to hide behind a screen or anything like that. Yeah. It's just. Uh, but it is a very it's very it, it's very cool. It, I don't, and it, it's a one of these. It's, it comes to one of those small box games, like that Raiders of the North Sea size box. Yeah, but it has a very large table presence. Um, like I said, there's a there's a little central board that you can move around and gather resources, and then oh, what is it? Seven different locations. They all have their own little board for them, and then there's like two bigger locations. So we got like we got boards upon boards that make this big map over your over your table it's a hog it's a table hog just at the two player count but uh yeah i would definitely give uh, circadians kind of a kind of a look it's a it's your dice worker placement like i said nothing groundbreaking but uh i don't know i'm a sucker for if something is themed in space for some reason yeah and so um and, and we finally finally placement. managed to give i like dice worker placement games yeah. i do um this one would get passed over a little bit. Uh, the art isn't very. If, if I don't know if you if you guys have the the box image in front of you. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> at that. It's a it's not quite a, a one of the most visually appealing type games, but uh, it's it's kind of cartoony. But it doesn't the, the art is you're not going to worry about the art while you're mm-hmm. playing this game. Yeah, it's more of the puzzle aspect too. It functions. Is yeah. it simultaneous um, play like you mentioned? Something about if um, there's a conflict, turn order. So is it all going kind of going at the same time? Or are you talking about like the planning stage? The the planning stage, yeah. yeah. I like it's that though. I like when games have when you can actually like map out your plan and everyone's kind of doing that together, like Orleans. Because I I what, always do that anyway. But yeah, and then the, you can get these upgrade tiles that can upgrade your dice that you're going to send out to those different location boards. Like you can get a tile that says. Okay, when this dice goes out on its mission, um, you can adjust its value by plus or minus two. Or when this dice goes out, it doesn't have to pay for water resources, type of thing. So you get those kind of upgrades for those for those specific tiles or those specific dice. Cool type of deal. So yeah. Okay. Oh it, it, no, it, you know it, it's neat. I don't know how readily available it is. But because uh, I knew it was a Kickstarter game, but I don't know if it really hit retail distribution um, as as much. But it, I don't know. I, I I really I really enjoy it. It yeah, it's just right up there with all those other dice worker placement games. Right on. Well, I got uh, I've got to the table a dice game as well, and I bought this specifically because it is associated with one of my favorite games, which is Trois, and this is uh, Trois Dice. And, um, well, well, wait, wait, Twa Twa's already a dice game. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? So, I mean, I had to, I had to go check it out. I mean, it's the, the box cover has that same awesome, gorgeous medieval looking French art that everybody wants to trash on. Um, but it follows the, uh, it follows the theme, uh, um, it borrows the same art, uh, style but you're basically, it's, what's the easiest way to, to put this together? It is very much like Welcome To in regards to the bingo style-esque of it, right? Because you'll roll, you'll, you'll set the board up and you'll have very similar, it's, and don't go into this thinking that, oh, I'm going to get a mini version of the board game. No, not even close. You're going to get a thematic interpretation of what the game has a feel for in regards to the, you know, your red military, your yellow uh, um, uh, city kind of economy, and your, your white uh, 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 church slash uh, cathedral. And it's all about generating population and generating 
uh, um, that uh, synergy in between those three uh, entities, and each of those three entities, as in the game, one produces coin, one produces uh, infamy, I think it is, and the other one produces uh, um, uh, religious tomes. I forget what the, the, the specific word they use, but it has all those themes that you find in the big board game, and they basically just condense it into a thematic interpretation, like I said. Now, it plays um, in a daytime and a nighttime uh, event, and it goes for eight days. And so basically, you're getting 16 turns. Uh, you roll dice. There's a black dice, which is a bad kind of attacking dice. And like uh, in Trois, you can defend the uh, the the black dice the the baddies coming in by building on your player board or you can uh, and and everybody has on their turn like I've only played the solo but it's pretty much everybody uses uh, a bingo style uh, whatever dice they want in whatever um, uh, uh, color uh, um, area of town that this dice is in. And, of course, if you buy the dice, there's certain, uh, you know, for the lowest dice, it doesn't cost you anything. Then the next dice, it costs you either uh, uh, infamy or a religious tome or a coin. And then the next dice is one gold coin. And then the furthest one away from the the point of origin of your dice increments is two, co- two gold. So uh, it's an interesting balance of levers and buttons. Much like Fleet the Dice Game, much like uh, that's very clever, right? I mean, all of these have um, every little uh, uh, area will influence the development of another area, right? How everything's kind of synergistically connected. It, it, that's that same idea, right? Welcome 2 has that same thing, right? Where you're playing towards objectives and you're building you know you're building everybody has their own turn rather than you're not there's there's no player interaction zero it's 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 you know multi-purpose solitaire but oh, see, i've played see, there, it eight there, times there, there they missed there they missed an opportunity because that was a big thing about twa was the player yeah. interaction and being able to like buy other people's dice that they've rolled yeah. and stuff like that oh that's a but yeah, I, I'm looking I'll, at here. Yeah, it's more of like a, it's more of like that roll and write. Yeah, it's very, it's very uh, feature. It's, it's very similar, like I said, to Welcome Two, where you've, you know, Welcome Two, you flip over three cards and you pick one, right? This one you have three dice. You have four dice. One of them is a bad dice that causes, you know, problems if you strategically allow for it or ignore it. It's up to you. But yeah, I'm quite enjoying this game, right? Um, um, the the theme title brought me in but the gameplay is hanging me uh i'm i'm still compelled and it plays fast 20 minutes boom you're done so and should it you... be twa themed or not yeah i th- i think it does a good job at taking the essence of the big game and kind of giving you its own little fast interpretation i mean yeah there's going to be some sacrifices in that and what ryan what you just described that play interaction that was the first thing i think they sacrificed because they it's a it's like a like a rolling right or a flipping right or whatever you want to call so i don't uh, you know um that might be well that's i think that's the new movement is everybody's trying to make a a rolling right flipping right kind of game version of the big brother right or sorry, mm-hmm. the larger sibling. My mistakes. My apologies. My bad. Sorry, eh? Okay, and, and, and Xavier George is on the design team here too. Yeah. So, so it's not like they yeah, shopped this out, right? I mean, it's the. I think it's all the three original designers kind of sat down and went, "All right, let us make another game." So where we don't have to where we don't have to screw up the how much does the dice cost? Oh, I still have problems with that. (laughs) Uh, I'm gonna need some interpreter beside me going. Okay, explain that to me again. How much how much do I need to pay for this dice? Uh, Ian, so many asterisks (laughs) wins. Yeah, yeah. Take us to the end of this segment, please. Yeah. So we have not played a lot of games. Kind of sheltering in again, but. We do have some two-player games, and so we played Ingenious the other day. Mm. So it's an older game, so I thought thought I would shed a little bit of light on it. Rhino. So Inge- <clears throat> Ingenious is Reiner Knizia, and 
it's a it's yeah it's a two-player game and it's sort of like if you think of taking Tigris and Euphrates and making it just a really light abstract game so you've got okay it basically is you take this you have a hand of like these double hexagonal tiles that you got to place on the board and you're trying to make there's six different colors and so you're trying to chain as many of the same color as you can depending on where you place it because you get points based on how long of the chains you can make on the colors Um, and you're basically going until the board is filled and you can't lay any more tiles and so anytime you so let's say you lay a tile that has a blue hex on it and it connects with two different lines of blue hexes. One goes uh, two long, one goes three long. You score five blue points. So it's sort of like uh, Tigers and Phrases. You're going to make clumps of different tiles and try to make that work on the board. But mostly it's through the scoring. Because if you remember in TNE, you only score based on your lowest color, right? And so this mm-hmm. is very much the same. You got to try to get all your colors up. So you can't just focus on a couple colors. You need to spread it out. So you will score based on the lowest score out of the six colors that you have. And then you compare that to the to the other person's lowest score. It's um it's quick. It's uh it's pretty easy to learn and uh it's got lots of take that aspects cuz you can kind of really mess up what the other person's doing by taking the good spots and we're blocking out areas so that it's hard to get uh good places to place the tiles and yeah it's a good one cool it's, it's older it's probably i think it's 2004 ish so mm-hmm. i don't know if people still play it or not but we decided to crack it out the other day still i hear people which is interesting i hear people oh, speak highly of this game no it's, it's a very good um abstract strategy yeah, the, the the comparison to Tigris Euphrates is probably is probably warranted. Like that lighter version, they actually he actually just re released um, a re implementation of Ingenious um, just a few years ago. It was it's called Axio, and mm-hmm. it's the exact same game except for without it's not it's not hex tiles. It's just like square uh, rectangular domino tiles, okay. but it's still got this. But it's still got the <clears throat> it's still got the the different colors. And the scoring is exactly the same. Cool, but it's just, it's just on a it's just on a, a grid instead of hexes. It's the exact same, it's the exact same game from what I can gathered. Okay, right on. But they re-released it as Axio. Yeah, I have not heard that. Awesome. Okay. But I think yeah, because I think Ingenious was getting a little bit harder to find, and it wasn't getting it wasn't being printed as often. I think. Yeah, maybe not. All right. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is proudly sponsored by Dragon's Den Games, located in the Louis VIII Mall on H Street in Saskatoon. Swing by Dragon's Den Games and let Darren, Al, and the awesome staff help you out in search for great board games, role-playing games, miniature systems, and all of the related accessories. Be a part of their gaming communities that have scheduled events in their great gaming area. Dragon's Den Games, Louis VIII Mall on 8th Street in Saskatoon. And welcome back. We are into the review section. The reviews. <laughs> and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take point on this one. I'm going to get us going. So um, uh, I... Um, uh, this I have a love-hate relationship with this game. Um, Do you love to hate it? I, I love this game because it's, it's just, it, oh, it just beats me up so bad. Um, I am going to talk about Ghost Stories, which came out in 2008. Uh, plays one to four players. <laughs> it says it plays 60 minutes, but if you play it as awful as I do, it could be even five. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> it's designed by Antoine Bauza and it's published by uh, Repo Productions. Uh, I don't think uh, anybody in North America has brought it in. Um, so that those are those are the details of that game. Uh, now let's get it. Let's get into that whole fantastical part of the uh, of the overview and the nuts and bolts. So I'm I'm just gonna let the uh, I'm gonna let the designer. 
um, bring us into uh, the overview. So ghost stories, many fell, putting an end to the reign of terror of Wu Fang, Lord of the Nine Hells. The funerary urn housing his ashes was buried in the cemetery of a village in the Middle Empire. Years have elapsed, and the cursed legacy has been forgotten by the living. Hidden away in hell, Wu Fang has for, uh, forgotten nothing. His incessant search allowed him to locate the receptacle. The shadows of his former incarnation already extends to the villagers who are unaware of the threat. Fortunately, the Fatsi, or the Taoist priests, keep watch, guarding the border between the dead and the living. Armed with their courage, their faith, and their powers, they are dedicated to send the reincarnation of Wu Fang back to hell. Ghost Stories is a cooperative game where players play as a team against the game, and if you're me, you play solo and you do poorly. <laughs> uh, either they share a common victory or they all suffer the same defeat. For the first, uh, um, uh, so the rules in this game are pretty straightforward. But let's get to how you win the game. It's pretty much a village defense, like a tower defense. You have on all four sides ghosts coming at you uh, um, constantly throughout the game. Um, it's not really a, an idea of scoring points. It's basically surviving to the end. And like every good cooperative, there's one way to win, and that's you killing Wu Fang. And there are several ways to lose this game. Um, in most cases, you know, running the ghost deck, uh, basically losing all of your Taoist priests, or uh, having three villages or three parts of the village uh, uh, haunted. Um, that is, is the crux of it. So let's get to opinions. Um, uh, we always start outside in. Uh, we're going to go to box art. And the, I mean, every artistic choice on this uh, with the box art the box art looks great let's get to that point um, everything that they chose to be a cognitive clue um, is present on the box there's there's I mean there's Taoist priests uh, defending a village in the background you have ghosts and you have entities bearing down on you uh, the artwork looks great um, as far as drawing me into any kind of, of cultural focus, uh, it's pretty vague, right? Um, but it, it, it is a pleasing box as far as the, the art goes and as far as what it's trying to communicate to me. So um, yay, check for that one. Uh, the graphic design follows suit on the cards and um, it, it works great. It works. Uh, the colors are, are, are somber and dark and eerie. It's very eerie looking. Uh, the components um, it's not too complicated. It's cardboard and plastic. Um, it's not over the top, uh, but it's not, you know, um, lacking in any kind of sense of the, uh, of the idea of components. Um, functional, absolutely functional. Uh, rule book, readability, learning curve. The rule book's, it's good. It's great. Um, it's as, as far as graphic design in the rule book, it's nice and balanced. It's not over visually overcrowded. Um, language wise, the rules read clean. Right. Um, uh, everything seems connected to a certain certain, you know, flow. Uh, so the readability is good. Um, and as far as the uh, as far as what you do in your turn, it's, it's on the back, of course, like every every seems to be every rule book. The back has your, uh, you know, your your game, your player, your player's aid kind of thing, your game turns. And it's very recipe like, um, which is good because you're so focused on that puzzle, that slide puzzle going on in front of you that you need a clean uh, um, uh, recipe set in regards to how the turn goes. Um, game system, game style, it's great. It's as far as putting you into a position of being very anxious the whole game, always feeling like I, I mean, there's never a moment where you think, okay, we can, we can relax a bit. We can get ourselves focused. No, you're always reacting to everything going on and hoping, trying to find, like I said, that slide puzzle of, of connectivity. What should come first? This order of operations is so important in this game because it could be the crux of you losing the game just because of a haunting that you didn't pay attention to. Um, the unique mechanisms. I mean, I, the, there's so many games out there now that, that to, for something to be unique, I think the unique mechanism in this game is the fact that it's hard. It is hard, but 
It doesn't push you away. You keep wanting to come back to this puzzle. Um, d now, understanding the fact that I've only played this solo. So this, as far as, you know, the alpha gamer thing goes, I'm not even going to touch that because I've not experienced it. Um, so, yeah, the unique mechanism is just the, is just the, the tenacity of this game, I think. Uh, and it, this does all connect um, from what the game tells you what it is and, and the experiences in this game. They all do connect. You are <laughs> under fire from all sides and, and on the edge of collapse every turn. So it's, it's great. It's so much. Yeah, if that sounds like fun, I would say yay. So my conclusions, um, this, uh, like I've, I'm going to go through some of these notes that I, uh, that I wrote. It's a master's level class in tactical assessment, cost benefit analysis, and risk reward evaluation. There are times where you're going to take it on the chin a couple times just so that you can pull off a big move. Um, the mo <laughs> Here's another note I put. The most compelling and demoralizing aspect of the game is the difficulty of this game. And you can make it, and this is normal, you can make this game hellish. <laughs> I don't know why you would. Uh, so the variability, uh, th and that's what I love about this game too, is that the, there's nine village tiles that you can randomly arrange, and then there are, uh, on each player board, there are two sides. So you have this variability of what kind of player power that you have, and as a solo player, what, um, what um, Taoist priests of power that you have available to you at this game, because you can borrow some of the uh, of the uh, other play of the priests' um, uh, abilities in a solo mode. Um, I would say that um, as, as, as it is set up, this game hides behind the appearance of a simple little tile game and uh, in, in one or uh, in some cases two short movements, the choices can turn around on you so fast. Um, yeah, yeah, this game is, is, is tactical um, um, essence at its core. There's there's never a moment where you think everything's going in the direction that you want it to go. Um, and uh, let's see. Um, as far as going into conclusions, this game, to me, um, hits the point for sure as to what it is. So congratulations to that. Um, there, there's no... There, now, I know there's a game that's out that is a rethemed of this, and my only thought is... Why would you retheme a game that is so good to begin with? Again, I mean, I only think like this because it's me. Um, here's my note with this game: it's it's probably one of my favorite cooperative games. And every in my in my perspective, every cooperative game is a soloable game. So um, um, it's one of my. Um, I don't want to use the word favorite, but because it beats me up so much that it's one of those, ah, oh, you get frustrated with it and you shun it for a while. And then, and then you, you think, okay, I, my chops, I'm ready. I got, you know, I'm, I've been training for this time. You pull the game out again. And, um, this is the, the note that I'm going to end this off with. Uh, um, and on the rare occasion that you manage to set up your town tiles, um, and the way that you move your Taoist priests and the choices made when deploying the ghosts on this rare occasion that all of your choices amount to a win, it will be the most glorious solo victory that you've ever experienced and one will be witnessed by no one. But it must be said that this game does uh, sit on the top shelf and it sits there mocking me. This episode is proudly supported by the amazing team at Breakout Escape and Board Game Lounge right here in Saskatoon. Using industry-leading technology, Breakout Escape's escape rooms are all 100% uniquely designed by the team, ensuring their patrons have maximum fun while staying safe. As well, they are a fully licensed board game lounge with over 400 titles to select from to ensure fun for every gamer new and experienced. Be sure to check them out at BreakoutSask.com. At Breakout Escapes and Game Lounge, they believe that life is more fun when you play games. And welcome back. This is Cardboard Conjecture. Let's carry on with the reviews. Ryan, um, why don't you decide who's up next? Sure. 
Ian, you want to take on Quest for El Dorado? All right, so I'm going to review Quest for El Dorado, uh, which is a Ravensburger game from Reiner Knizia. Oh, I guess I'm talking about him twice today. It's two to four <laughs> players. It takes about half an hour to 45 minutes. So in yeah, Quest that's for... Accurate. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty short game, actually. So in Quest for El Dorado, your goal is to move through the jungle and be the first to reach the end, to reach El Dorado, is the kind of the goals that you're trying to reach. The board is made up of uh, some really giant tiles, which are basically made of little smaller hex tiles that are you can rearrange into different, um, different maps, basically. And you're collecting a hand of cards. And so... What the cards do is they show you what spaces you can move on. So there's like jungle cards. You can move on to the jungle spaces if you use those cards. Um, and water spaces, you can use the water cards for. And then there's coin cards as well, which you can either use to move into village spaces. I guess you got to pay your way through the villages is the idea. Or you can use them to buy other cards. And so most of the cards are like crew members, right? So you can jungle scouts and explorers that would, would move you through the jungle spaces. So it's like you're building your team. And you can hire other team members throughout the game or equipment or whatever you want to call those cards. Um, and you basically are adding them to your deck. There's always six cards available to purchase throughout the game, but... There's only like four cards of each type. And so once uh, one type is used up, then there's a slot open. And so the next person who buys cards basically gets to pick which card is going to go into that slot and which is going to be available. So then they have a, a choice of everything that's out there. But they're also saying, okay, I want this card. But then you're making it available for everybody else as well. And so, yeah, you're building your deck and you draw a hand of four cards at a time and then you use those to either move or buy new cards or both depending on the combo of cards that you get and as you go through there's going to be more difficult spaces that you need better cards for so there might be a space where you need it says you need three jungle icons in order to pass that's get onto that space but you can't like have three individual cards do that you have to have one card that's power of three jungle spaces and so you'd have to you do have to purchase the other cards so that they get better and better in your deck and like other deck builders like dominion and stuff where you can trash your cards you can do that here it's not as big a part of the game but there are certain spaces that you can go to um, where you can actually completely get rid of a card from your hand so if you want to make your deck a little bit more efficient you can and so basically, you're using this to try to get through the jungle as fast as you can. But there's going to be like corners that are really tight and hard to get through. There's going to be a bunch of changing landscape all of the time. Um, so you need to diversify your hand as you're going through. And yeah, basically, the first person to get to the end wins. Although, sort of. Like you, there's also. Uh, kind of a tiebreaker thing because everybody gets the same number of turns right so some people may be able to all get to the space on their last turn but as you go through these little sections of the map there's these zigzaggy pieces uh, that when you cross through them you get to collect that piece it basically means that you pass that section first and whoever has the most of those pieces at the end if there's a tie that would be the tiebreaker which is I mean, sounds little, but it's actually ties can happen quite often. So that ends up being a pretty big, uh, pretty big factor in the game. And that's really how the game works. That's I basically taught you the game. There's not a whole lot else to it. Um, yeah, no, I, I really I really like the the fact that, that there's the um, the different terrains pop up. And so you kind of like depending on what you have in your hand, you are kind of almost forced to kind of go down a certain pathway mm -hmm. into something. There could be, there could be shortcuts. That's right. If, yeah. if you've, if you have the right cards in your hand, but yeah, uh, yeah if you don't diversify, you're going to be kind of stuck going, maybe sometimes going a longer route or mm -hmm. yeah, other some, people. 
And so those are kind of the cool decisions you got to make for sure. Uh, okay, so opinions. The box art, I think it evokes the jungle exploration theme pretty well. So yeah, the box art is good. I have no complaints with it. It, it looks like a jungle exploration game, and that's exactly what it is. Um, the components are basically like the tiles, I think, are really well planned out. And they there's a sheet that has a bunch of different map outlines, so you can build your maps with them but i think they're really planned out to make those kind of difficult stretches and difficult corners right so they're mm-hmm. uh yeah i mean this is Kanitzia. he thinks about those things he thinks about the possibilities that can go through and he plans it out really well i can't remember are they double-sided they are double-sided yeah 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 so they've got a whole bunch of pre-planned maps and they're uh based on difficulties there's easy ones medium ones and there's difficult ones the cards are too small. <laughs> they're like really <laughs> tiny cards. I don't know why they're not just regular sized cards. So they, it's too bad. But yeah, what Ian's describing here, they're those small, I think they call them Euro sized well, they're, cards. They're like I, the original I, Ticket to Ride game cards. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah, they're the, way too tiny. Which are too small. For shuffling. For yeah, shuffling purposes, shuffle. yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the rules, I think, are really easy to learn. That like the rule book is very straightforward. It's it's not a difficult game to to learn or to teach. Um, yeah, especially if people have played like Dominion or other games like that before, then that kind of explains itself. The whole hand management thing. It's just a matter of explaining what the cards do and how the how the buying the cards works, which isn't really that difficult either. I think the theme works well. I like the idea of a jungle exploration game. Uh, I, I just think that's a cool theme. I f- it feels like you're creating a team to move through the jungle for the most part. There's some kind of weird things like um, you hire them, but you're already in the middle of the jungle. So where do these people come from? But whatever, <laughs> those <laughs> that's minor stuff. Uh, they got dropped off by helicopter. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, it's kind of cool. You get to, it does feel like you have a team of people that are helping you move through. So, and it definitely feels like a race. So it definitely feels like you are racing through the jungle and trying to beat the other teams. That's what the theme is. And that's what the game feels like you're doing. So yeah, I think the theme works quite well. Uh, for the mechanisms, it's deck building to move. So I guess you can compare that to something like clank, right? But this just has less going on than clank. Like there's, it's, it's basically you are moving through the jungle. That's your goal. Whereas clank, you're trying to collect things and then, and things like that and fight, fight things and avoid the dragon. Um, I think the different cards are fun. There's a lots of lots of neat different combinations you can get. You'll you only try a few of them out every game, but there's some like equipment cards. Some will let you discard cards or trash cards. Some will let you uh, pick up extra cards on each turn, things like that. I think that working your way through the different maps is a lot of fun. Like Ryan was just saying, like figuring out. Are you going to take the long way around? Are you going to try to attempt the shortcuts through? Um, Some of it's luck-based, depending on what hand you get. But sometimes you might just want to wait in a specific spot until you... Because if you know a card's coming up, if you got like a tricky little waterway where you need like the super captain or whatever to get you through, but you know you've got him in your deck, you might just sit there for a while until you get him. And so, and hopefully that gives you the advantage to go through the shortcut. Um, and if you don't, I mean, it's luck based, based on like, you couldn't get a hand where you're stuck for a turn, but you still get to buy cards or you can use those cards, the coin cards to just buy another card then. Cause I feel like, and Ryan, tell me if you agree. I kind of feel like most turns are either a moving turn or a buying turn, right? Yeah, that's fairly accurate. Yeah, because you can do both. It's in the rules you can do both. But because you're only dealing with four cards at a time, it's not really going to happen too often where you can buy and move. 
you're usually doing one or the other. Um, but even, even the way that the board is laid out also determines what you're going to buy, right? If it's a map that you've got lots of water, you're going to buy a lot of like captain cards and boat cards and things that'll help you through that. So that kind of determines. And, every, and everybody else is also going to be buying those water cards. Right. Too, they'll, they'll be going fast. <laughs> That's right. I th- I think maybe the game is a little too short sometimes. Like sometimes it feels like you don't fully utilize your deck. Like you build this deck and then suddenly you're at a race to the end. And it feels like maybe you haven't used your deck as well as you might have wanted to. Um, so I don't know, maybe... But then again, you could just make a larger map if you want a longer game because you can just add in another tile, I guess, because it's customizable that way. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of how the game works. And it's quick. It's straightforward. Um, It's got a fun combination of the race with the deck building that I think works quite well. there's lots of opportunities for come from behind victories, which I do all the time. I, <laughs> yeah, my with which my wife hates because even when it looks like she's winning, I'll suddenly boost ahead at the end and manage to steal it from her. Oh, that being said, it does actually work quite well with two as well. The only difference is that you're moving two of your people through the jungle instead of just one when it's two players and you got to get them both to the end. Um, but other than that, it works well with two because you still have the same number. You still have four tokens out there moving around. And so it's still the same opportunity to block people, to take certain paths and so on. Um, yeah, so I think it's pretty it's pretty fun. Uh, it's a mid-shelf game. It's not overly involving. Like it's not going to make your brain melt or anything. But it evokes the theme really well. It provides um, a different experience from something like Dominion. And uh, it's quick and easy, and I like it. I like it quite a bit. Yeah. One of the things I really like about this one, and you mentioned it too, is that you do have that market of cards, but once one of those slots is empty, the next person who gets to buy gets to pick what is going to go into that slot. Yeah. And that, I don't, you, don't, you don't see, like, with the market of cards, you don't see that very often with these type of deck building games where somebody gets to choose what's going to go into the market row. Yeah, that's right. It's either everything's available or it's like things are randomly available, like Ascension, right? Yeah. Yeah. This one, you have all the options ahead of you uh, in in the beginning. And then, yeah, does it always start off with the same ones available at the very beginning? And then, yeah, Yeah, those ones are stocks. But as soon as a slot runs out, then people start getting to pick and choose what they get to put in. Right. And so therefore that's going to, that's also going to dictate how your paths are going to go. Yeah. And, it's gonna, well. and that adds variety to the game because you don't see all the cards every game. It'll just, mm-hmm. it'll just be the ones that the people go for at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Quest for Eldorado. And it's a game that actually puts a Q, a game that starts with Q into my collection, <laughs> which is hard to do. Do you have the expansion? <laughs> I don't. I looked at the expansion and it looked like it looked not interesting. <laughs> so I it looked like it changed it changed the game in ways that I didn't really think would Oh fit, yeah, so. no you don't you know you don't want that. I just want more tiles and more cards. Yeah, that's exactly. All I want. That's what I want too. And this looks like it adds more rule changes that I don't want. So I don't think I'm going to get the expansion. Right on. There we go. Okay. Um, I'm going to be talking about a quote unquote little game um, by a little, uh, by a designer named Vladimir Suhi. And he, uh, he's done some fantastic games and the game that I'm going to, that I've picked is Pulsar 2849 published by um, Czech games edition. And I believe it came out in, I just lost my notes. Uh, it came out in 2017. And the best way that I could describe Pulsar 2849 is that this is a Steffenfeld game in space. <laughs> if that, if hmm. that makes any sense. You're going to get, this is one of those point salad games. You're going to get points for literally doing pretty much anything in this in this one. Um, so, so the basic core mechanisms of 
Pulsar 2049 is that it's a dice drafting game. And so uh, depending on the number of players you have, there's going to be a number of dice that are available. And you just roll all these dice at the beginning of your turn. And one of the most interesting pieces of this game is how turn order is, is determined. Because it's randomly determined at the beginning of the game. You're going to roll all these dice, and all these dice have spots. There's a spot for the ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, and sixes. You're going to put them all in these, and then you're going to have to find the median. So where is, so in a uh, two and three player game, there's seven dice. You have to find out where the fourth dice is from the left or the right. You figure out where that spot is. You put your hand over that spot, and you figure out how many dice are to the left or to the right of that dice, and whichever has the most, you're going to have to put this little median marker and that median marker is just going to determine, okay, if I pick dice to the left of this median marker, so the low-value dices of the round, um, you get to actually move these little discs along this turn order track. And you get to, so if it's to the left, you get to move your discs to the left. So if I took a 1 and the median marker is at a 3, well, uh, 1 is 2 less than 3, so I get to move my marker 2. And so that's kind of an interesting way how they do the turn order. And then there's also another row that you can go on that kind of gives you some of these resources. They're, they're these kind of like, I, I call them Energon cubes, even though that's not the, the, the fact. There's these little cube resources that you can also get. So there's a turn order in that aspect as well. Um, so people are just going to go around. They're going to select two dice in this. Um, you're going to draft two dice that are available. And then you've got, oh, let me count it up here. One, two, you got, you got about like seven different things you can do with your drafted dice. Which is, a, which is quite quite interesting. Um, one of the big things you can do is that this um, there's a big board in the middle of the table and it's got all these planets and these pulsars and these uh, different like, clusters of stars and everything like that all around this board and they're all connected by these, uh, these space travel lanes. And what you can do is whatever value is on your dice, you can move your little spaceship that many spaces. And as long as you pass through or stop on planets, you get to put your little um, put a little control disc, and you're going to get points at the end of the game based on how many of these planet systems that you have visited throughout the for the course of the game. So that's kind of one way that you can score points. Another way you can score points is by building what they call um, transistors, and so there's a stack of tiles. There's A, B, and C tiles, and they have different dice values on them and you can claim these with a dice and these are going to give you um, maybe ongoing benefits throughout the course of the game so at the end of every round you get two points or at the end of every round you get three points at the end of every round you get a resource cube you kind of get different stuff like gets different stuff like this there's another part that off to the side of the main board is that there's a technology track and so, and this is also your um, round tracker because this is going to take place over eight rounds. And wherever the round marker is, you can, whatever dice value you have, as long as it matches one of those technology rows, um, you can put a disc there and say, now you have some sort of always ongoing benefit throughout the game. When you have to move, you get to always move one extra space. Or every time that you take a transistor, score three points. Um, every time that you do something, it, 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 there are a whole bunch of different variations of all these different things. Um, other things you can do is you can, you can claim these little chits that allow you to modify your dice. Um, there's, a, there's plus minus ones or there's plus twos to, to your dice. You can use a dice to claim those. And then the name of the game, Pulsar 2049, is that you can start, you can claim pulsars. And what you do with this is as long as you've stopped on one of these on a movement action, you get to have a what they call, a, oh, no, what do they call it? A gyrodone ring. And you get to put that on the board. And then as one of your actions, you can claim a gyrodone disc to place into the, um, the ring that you've placed on the board. And this is symbolizing that you're, ha you're harnessing the energy of the pulsar. And what these are going to do is these are going to generate you lots of points at the end of every round. The more and the more of these that you've claimed around the board, the more points you're going to score uh, over over the course of every round. 
And I've only just touched on a few a few different things here that you can do with your dice. But those are kind of like some of the, the main things that you're looking at doing with your dice. And so everybody's gotten, everybody's drafted two dice. Everybody takes two actions. Go on to the next turn. And you're going to do this for, I think it's eight. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure it's eight rounds. Most points wins, Ian. <laughs> if you had, if you had, um, there's That's some reassuring. end of game. There's a, there's a couple end of game scoring tiles that get randomly chosen. Um, and the, these are kind of neat too, because at the end of the game, they're going to, the, these are random. So there's quite a bit of variability here. Um, like there's a scoring tile that says, Hey, if you scored, if you've managed to visit 11 planets, uh, during the game, you get to score some bonus points at the end of the game. When do you and get also these? at the beginning or at the end or in the some do you have to collect them throughout the game? Uh so it's, uh, these are these are always uh, public objectives that are oh, set so out at anybody, the beginning of gotcha. the game. So so as long as you get and there's three of them, and you're never gonna be able to achieve all three of them. From my experiences, you're probably at best gonna achieve two uh two of them. Now I've mentioned these energy cubes. What you can use these energy cubes do is to boost your end of game scoring. So like that one that I just said of visit 11 planets. If I visit 11 planets, I might score five points. But if I also have three energy cubes left at the end of the game, oh, I get to score another five points. Oh, but if you still have another extra one after that, oh, you get to score some more bonus. So you can save these energy cubes to um, boost up your end of game scoring. What you can also use these two is that you can cash in four cubes on your turn and you get to draft a bonus dice. So you get to take an extra action um, on your turn as well. So they're kind of, they're very useful for that because more actions means you're probably going to do better um, in this, in this particular game. So that's kind of like the general overview of what Pulsar 2849 is doing. It's a dice drafting game and you're, <laughs> there's, it looks very very overwhelming when it's laid on a table. This is a table hog of a game. The main central board takes up a good chunk of my table. And then there's all these extra sideboards that you're kind of like just kind of laying around it as well. Like the tech track is massive. And then there's other little sideboards that you kind of helps you organize your pieces. It, it, there, there, there's a lot. Oh, and you also have a player board. That's another thing you can do with your dice is that you get your own player board has its own little kind of tech track on it as well that you can kind of progress up and give you bonus points and stuff like that. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go into some of my opinions outside in. The box is your standard ticket to ride size box and the artwork doesn't really draw you in to, to the game. It's got like, a, it's, I don't know, I'm gonna hold that up to the screen and let you guys see it, it kind of, uh, oh no, I got a bad <laughs> camera, I got a bad camera. Anyway, it's just like this great big white circle in the middle of the box and just says Pulsar 2849 and a couple little spaceships all around it. Um, yeah, it doesn't really draw me in. You're not going to be playing this game. That seems to be a theme for me lately is that you don't, you're not going to buy this game for the artwork. Um, the components, though, very fun. nice. Um, very nice uh, cardboard. The board itself the main planet uh board it's very nice and bright kind of got, got this little solar system feel um to it and yeah the cardboard's nice the little cubes are nice the little spaceships are the same spaceships that you see in galaxy trucker um that key that mark your, your 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 turn order so they kind of maybe reuse some components that way yeah, I have no qualms about any of the components. They're very functional. The artwork is, it's all laid out. The iconography is kind of, uh, it, it makes, it's one of those games that makes sense after you've played it once. You're like, oh, right, that's the one that always does this. Or, oh, that's the symbol for this type type of uh, type of thing. The rule book is very good. Um, I had no qualms learning this game out of the rule book. It outlines all the phases of the game. Very, very well done. Very detailed. And lots of picture examples of what's going on, which is very, I always, I always like that. I'm kind of a visual learner myself. Um, and a nice little glossary at the end if you don't understand what something means in the icon um, chart. Very, very well done. Very well laid out. Um, no qualms of the, of the, of the rule book. 
at all. You can, you can learn this perfectly straight out of the rule book. Okay, the, the game system itself. Like I said, lots of ways to score points. <laughs> and you have to be efficient. So this is kind of one of those games where I like to say it's like, okay, I'm going to take a look at those end game scoring tiles that were laid out. Okay, what's the best way that I can use uh, my actions to achieve some of those goals? Because you're going to score, like this is one of those games, your final scores could be into like the 200s um, at, 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 the end, at the end of it, all this and stuff like that. So um, you want to try to make sure you're maximizing your scoring opportunities um, in, in, in that regard. So trying to, for me, trying to figure out the puzzle of, okay, do I sacrifice uh, turn order so that I can draft some higher dice? Because generally the higher dice values are going to give you better types of actions. But at the same time, it, they're generally to the right of that median marker. So you're going to be going pushing your disc farther and farther behind people. So you're never going to be going first type, type, of, uh, type of deal. Whereas I could be taking lower value dice, kind of weaker actions, but I'm going to be guaranteeing that I'm going to be always getting the first selection of dice in, in coming rounds. So it's kind of like a nice little push-pull mechanism there I, li- I really, really enjoy. Oh, I don't know what else. To, I, know, I love the variability of this game. So there's two sides of the main board. The one has... Um, dead end stops that kind of help they kind of restrict your movement a little bit and the uh, tech track the tech track is made up of three different tiles and all of those tiles there's two two-sided tiles for all city sections so um, there's four options in each for each level of the tech tree so that's already what four and four is uh, four times four is 16 times another there's 64 combinations uh, of tech trees that you could possibly form for this particular game. So the variability is high there. Um, the end game scoring tiles, there you only select three out of a out of a set of like eight. So the game is going to be different every time that you play it. So I I really enjoy the variability um, of of this of this game. Don't know what more I can really say about it. I, it I don't know. I like to say it's a, it's a fell. I like to say that Vladimir Suhi um, made it. It's kind of like a felled in space. It, I've, I get a very good um, Castles of Burgundy vibe out of, out of this out of this game. As in, yeah. like I've always I'm always going to have two dice to do my actions, and I'm going to use both of those dice. But how am I going to use them? Type of type of deal. So I get I get that kind of feeling when I when I play this game. And of course, it's a different beast. You're doing a whole bunch of different types of things other than you're not building up your own player tableau um in this one like you're doing in some something like castles of burgundy um norm you've played this one with me once i think yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's cool yeah. yeah it's a well and i i mean yeah. the designer is awesome i have uh sh- i have shipyard here and um yeah i love, oh, the, and he, I love the he also did things. underwater cities yeah He's i love the, same the way, way i did underwater brain. cities so um, very good design pedigree. It's a, it was kind of a sleeper game. It didn't get talked about a lot when when it did when it did come out. And I don't know it might have been that that type of year for for the games. But this was one of those ones that kind of went under the radar. Not a lot of people were talking about it. And I don't know if it just did and it didn't do anything enough to get people's attention that set itself apart from other types of you know dice drafting games where you're taking actions and scoring a buttload of points. Um, I don't know if it just did anything different in, in that regards. Um, with that, it didn't really do anything. To, the only thing it really did differently was that, tur- that turn order selection of, hey, if I take something to the left of the median dice, I'm going to get a better opportunity to go first. But if I take something to the right of it, I'm kind of pushing myself away from the, from the, from the pack in, the, in turn order. I kind of liked, liked that aspect. Yeah, this is a Pulsar twenty eight forty nine. I this is a middle shelf game. It's, I don't think it's one that I'm going to get rid of. It's got it's got its moments. It's got to play. Um, Jen and I have been playing it a lot two player. It's got a really good two player um, variation to it, where you get to um, you have uh, two two ships on the turn order track 
type of thing. So, and there's there's bonuses for first, second, third. And so there's always going to be one person that's going to get two bonuses and one person's only going to get one bonus type thing in a two in a two player game. But, How long uh, does it take? We've been playing games in around an hour. So okay. it, 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 it's not it's not a it's not like a, a meaty, super lengthy um, game. But yeah, I would say around that hour mark for a two player game, I would say probably three. Uh, my three player games, if I remember correctly, are probably like that hour between hour and hour and a half. There is some AP like analysis paralysis inducing moments just due to the sheer amount of options you have to take with your two dice and what do you want to do with them um, what's going to be the best way there's going to be people that are going to try to math out what is my optimal moves with my dice this turn which one's going to score me the most points um, that kid that will most likely if there's a player like that aka me who plays these types of games you're going to sit there and you're going to think about what's my best opportunity most of the time, if you've got a high-valued dice, you're going to want to go traveling around the, uh, the, the, the planetary board because you do get lots of points the more planets you visit um, throughout the course of a game. Like I think there's, uh, if I remember the, the scoring chart here, um, if, you manage to, if you manage to visit, like I think, over 50, if you get to like 15 planets, that's like 50 points, which is huge in this game. Because, like I said, your final score is going to be probably close to around 200. And so you can score like a quarter of your points just by visiting all the planets and doing other things along the way. One qualm I do have about this game is that the name is Pulsar2849. And the description of the game, if you read the description, is all about igniting these pulsars and getting those gyrodones built. And except for that that is a way to score points in this game. It's not the most efficient way of scoring points in this game. So it's another one of those, another one of those flaws where it's like, Hey, pay attention to me. This is a, this is the theme of the game. But if you actually pursue that strategy, you're going to get left in the dust. I think a little bit because there's all these other things kind of do what though those do better. Because it does take a little bit of effort to get those pulsars um, generating you points. You first have to visit one, and then you have to put the disc in there. And then, so, like, it, it does take some work to get them. Whereas, like, oh, I could just buy a transistor that's going to generate me three points per turn on turn one of the game. So, hmm. that's my one qualm about this, uh, that the name of the game, again, is not the forefront of the gameplay <laughs> also it has a year in the name i don't like that either yeah what happens when, <laughs> is, it, is, it, is this the game going to exist in 2849 well and to me it's, play it? it's one of those things where i'm like oh man and being a history teacher it's kind of ironic because i'm thinking oh man i have to remember a date oh <laughs> this is gonna kill me <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I, um, I quite enjoyed this game when, when we played it. Like, it, it, uh, it, uh, piqued, it piqued my interest to have a repeat play. Yeah, and like I said, there's, there's a, oh my goodness, the sheer amount of different actions you can take is, is quite a lot. That, that's probably your big hurdle you're going to get through in this game is figuring out what are the best ways for that particular game to spend your dice on because hmm. you're only going to get two and if you collect those energy cubes um, you could possibly get a third action but you're not going to get that every round yeah unless you've got some sort of resource generation happening and uh but yeah pulsar 2049 great middle shelf type game it's got it's got its moments where it's going to come out um, there's definitely lots of games that I would play before I take this game off the shelf, but there's also a lot of games that I would play this over <laughs> cool. at the same time. Yeah. So. Should it be rethemed as Dragon Ball? <laughs> oh, absolutely. 100%. I could, you, you, you give me five minutes, I'll, I'll retheme this with a Dragon Ball for you. <laughs> cool. Dra Pulsar 2849. Vladimir Suhi, another great Design title. Cool. Awesome. 
So it's getting late. So what? What I, I in my head, I was thinking two options of of with my review. You can just completely edit it out, and I'll I'll just rebump and recut the intro without me saying ghost stories, just the think and play and doing part. And uh, or uh, and we can go just with two reviews, or I can uh, finish off on my own uh, the the recording of it, and then right after I'm like ghost stories, and then cut straight into a uh, an uh, um, sponsor bumper and then come back in kind of things with a monologue yeah it's well, up to you i mean yeah. i think two reviews is fine yeah, two reviews i'm looking at the time and i'm like you know what trimming out the five minutes that i had will be will be like on on one hour on the point so it's like cool we sure. can just go with two awesome so we'll just do yeah, the, that works yeah we'll just do with the exit part right now well, we're gonna we're gonna segue into our closing, and we're gonna, as always, thank you so much for uh, listening in on our discussions and reviews and our and our point uh, our conjectured points of view. Um, so, with that being said, I'm your host Norm. I'm Ryan. I'm Ian. And we'll catch you later. <laughs> This has been an episode of Cardboard Conjecture, and we are Bridge City Board Gamers. And you can find us on Facebook at Bridge City Board Gamers Saskatoon. You can find us on YouTube, Bridge City Board Gamers. We are also on Twitter, at BC Board Gamers. And of course, Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.